some of the elderly relatives, and so they had masks and the outdoor and all of that. Which is why it was announced last week they asked not to, so that uh, they, they were concerned that someone might show up there, uh, and they were concerned. So I thought it was appropriate since we didn't have a, a regular memorial service here in the church that I read her obituary this morning. So, Florian Reinship. Brian Schmidt Hirschman was born in rural Wagner, South Dakota on, on May 21st, 1927, the daughter of Henry and Claire Reinschmidt. She died Thursday, October 22nd, 2020, at the Avera Sister Jane's Care Center in Anchorage. Florine married Jim Hirschman in Clifton, Oklahoma on September 24th, 1946. Together, they farmed in the Virginia area until they retired and moved to Wagner. Florine and Jim enjoyed traveling to Texas to spend their winters for 19 years. During their time in Texas, they belonged to a group of people who traveled to Progreso, Progreso, Mexico every Christmas day, where they handed out toys and hot dogs to over 500 underprivileged children. When back in Wagner, Florine volunteered at the Good Samaritan Center. Florine was a member of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Wagner. Thankful for having shared her life are her two sons, Terry Hirschman of Lincoln, Nebraska, and Tommy Hirschman of Quickset, New Hampshire, five grandchildren, Rosalie Garcia, Jason Hirschman, Shane Hirschman, Christopher Hirschman, and Nicholas Woreshka, two great-grandchildren, Tori and Paxton Woreshka, a son-in-law, Doug Woreshka, and her brother, Doyle Blanchman Wagner. Florine was preceded in death by her parents, her husband Jim, her daughter Sandra Woreshka, her sister Darlene Newman, and her brothers Harold Willard and Henry Reinschmidt. So I thought it would be good if you want one of these. I did grab some extra and put it on the little table out there in the foyer. Uh, and you're welcome to take one. If you need more, I can probably get some more uh, if you need it. So, um, most some of you remember Florine, some of you are new to the church, and she's not been here for a number of years because of having moved to the Anchorage. So, um, so we wanted, I wanted to honor her this morning. So I'll get into the sermon now, and we're going to take a break from Romans just for this week. And you may have seen the title already there, which says, Calm Down, Everybody. God is still on the throne, right? And so the big idea this morning is that we need to look to God when the foundations seem broken. We can take refuge in the Lord because He is in His holy temple. I've often wondered if other glasses wear, and I've never asked them because I was thought maybe I'll, they'll think I'm weird, but I wonder if some of you experienced something I do. I have to keep my lenses clean. If my glasses aren't clean, I actually feel my eyelids scrunching and sometimes feeling actually irritated. And so I'll go wash my glasses and I'll get the lenses nice and clean and suddenly that irritated feeling I have in my eyes goes away. And I know that might seem strange, especially if you don't have glasses, but that's been the case for me for many years. Uh, they say that there's some symptoms that people have physically and the term that they use is they're psychosomatic. It doesn't make you a psycho, uh, but psychosomatic symptoms are physical symptoms that are caused or aggravated by psychological factors. 
And we've all experienced this to some degree, most likely. It could even be getting a dry mouth when you're nervous. It could be uh, having symptoms of uh, intestinal issues when you're feeling stressed out. Your body is manifesting symptoms that are uh, not necessarily from a physical basis, but more from something else that's affecting you. And for, for centuries, theologians have divided, debated this issue is that are we divided into just body and soul, or is it body and soul and spirit, or is it mind, body, and soul? And there's been this discussion. And, uh, but one thing that I think everybody agrees with is that what affects one area of our lives affects the other areas of our lives. If you're suffering, suffering emotionally, you'll notice it physically. You'll notice it spiritually, and vice versa. And that's why Christians should not only work on their spiritual health, but their physical health and their mental health and their emotional health as well. God created us with many attributes, and he wants us to seek help in all of our areas. So here's my best guess about what happens when my glasses are dirty. I think that my mind sees the blur and thinks that there's somehow it's interpreting that there's something on my eyeball. That's what I think. And so I began to feel this irritation. It happened again this morning. It happens probably almost every day. And I may even wipe my eye like this because I feel like there's something there. But then I'll go clean my glasses and I feel better. Does anyone else have that happen with their glasses or just me? Okay. So, uh, but it's sometimes that discomfort of my glasses being dirty is irritating me so bad I can't concentrate, so I have to go wash my glasses. But what's happening there, in a sense, is not reality. I feel like there's something in my eye, but there's nothing there. And that's proven on a daily basis. When I go clean the glasses, then I can feel better, and my eyelids relax, and, my, and I uh, can concentrate again. And uh, this morning, I'm using this as an illustration to bring us to think about how we see things in the world, things going on around us in our world. Are we seeing things? <coughs> that are reality. Can we trust that what we're feeling is correct? Are you and I good barometers for what's going on in the world? Are we reliable? Is the filter of how we receive information about the world clouded by dirty glasses that cause our eyes to feel irritated and give us a false impression that things are worse than they really are? And I doubt that many of the adults, especially in here this morning, haven't had some kind of anxiety over the past week over what's happening with the presidential election and the uncertainty. Many of us remember from 20 years ago that uncertainty when we didn't even know until December who would be the next president. And back then, despite the news networks declaring a winner, that other candidate that was not declared the winner initially became president. And people who supported one candidate or the other back then, I'm talking about 20 years ago, people on both sides of that felt the other side either stole the election or tried to. And still to this day, there's people who say that that president was not properly elected. Now today, we see the division again, that regardless of who ultimately is sworn in on January 20th, half of the country is going to consider that person to be not legitimate, let's just be honest. Whatever, whatever side you're on, that's, that's just how it's going to be. People, there's always going to be a question. 
There are even concerns of civil war or violence. So it could be easy for to look at the election and look at the problems in the world and this steady march we see towards depravity where we have advanced past gay rights now to people who are calling for, openly calling for pedophilia normalization. There's a rise in human trafficking. There's a rise in human slavery and child abuse and disrespect for the dignity of life across the spectrum of ages from the unborn to the elderly who in many cases are treated as a burden on society rather than a gift from God, as all life is, the world may seem like it's lost its foundations. Indeed, there's even talk in our nation that the Constitution won't survive this because the corruption has grown to such a state that no one trusts the government and it's impossible to clean up. So what is the Christian supposed to do? When we feel like all we can do is flee, when we feel like the wicked are preparing war against us, when we feel like the foundations of the world we, that we know and secure, put our security in have been destroyed or seem to be being destroyed, well, the answer is simple. We need to take our eyes off the world and fix our eyes on the Lord. So I'm going to read from Psalm 11, and then we'll get into it. So I will start reading from verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall hold, be whole. So go back to verse 1. The Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Now you may have noticed as you read through the Psalms, some of the Psalms of David, he's speaking directly to God. It's, it's a prayer. Other times he's speaking to whoever the reader might be, the person who reads the Psalm or hears it read later on. And then sometimes he seems to be speaking to himself, kind of like an internal pep talk, right? He's facing a time of anxiety, a time when it seems like his enemies are especially vicious against him in a time when everything seems, seems chaotic. And so this is one of those cases where he's kind of giving himself a pep talk, so to speak. In this psalm, he's reminding himself to take refuge in the Lord. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird in your mountains? In other words, I can't allow myself to be talked into, nor, I should, talk, nor should I talk myself into, just abandoning all hope and running away from my problems and hiding away from the evil going on in the world. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If we be people of faith, if our trust really is in the God of the Bible, then we cannot at any time simply shrink away under the pressures of life 
or the anxiety of the world, no matter what's going on. So we don't say to our soul, flee like a bird, to the mountain where it's safe. No, we're soldiers in God's army. We stand and fight the spiritual battles. Verse 2, For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they fitted their arrow to the string, to shoot in the dark, at the upright in heart. Now, in the ancient language of the time, there were there were actually incantations that people would do, and they would, uh, in kind of a dark art kind of way, they would go out and shoot arrows into the dark, representing uh, an attack on their enemy. So you can think of people who are kind of worshiping Satan. They would go out in the night, and part of their ceremonies, they'd, they'd fire an arrow into the dark, representing that they wanted to take down their enemy. David had enemies, big time. You know a lot of the stories. I went to First Samuel a couple years ago and we heard about a lot of them. We have enemies as well. Our enemies may not be the same as David's where we're, we're under danger of physical death, but we may feel that the world's opposed to us. Well, it actually is, in a sense, opposed to us. The Bible calls Satan the god of this world. And he's been waging war against God. And if we're in Christ, then Satan is waging war against us. Many of David's psalms are focused on his enemies. Why? Because that was a big major part of his life. Running from enemies, fighting against enemies. Letting God fight for him, against him. And he lived his whole life from early until... Right before he died, he lived with enemies. You know a lot of those stories. And yet David would always reframe his thinking by focusing on God and God's faithfulness. And David's security was in knowing that God was ultimately his protector. Do you have that same confidence? If you are in Christ, you should have that confidence. Verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So here we go. What can the righteous do? If the righteous are in a battle that they're facing cheating or they're pain, how can they possibly win? If the righteous are outnumbered, how can they possibly win? If the righteous are outdone, how can they win? If the very foundations of the world are being destroyed, where can the righteous go for safety? Where can they go for peace? They fix their eyes on Jesus. They must fix their eyes on Jesus. Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. What confidence can we have? All confidence. We can have all confidence, even in this world. The Lord is in his holy temple. His throne is in heaven. His eyes see. So, in our short-sighted way of seeing things, we might look at the world and think it's truly out of control, that maybe God's been distracted, maybe he's unaware of what's going on, how can he let things continue as they are? But he's not unaware. If you're looking for your ultimate security based on who's in the White House or who's in the wall of the Congress, You'll always be disappointed. Always. 
But God sees. You remember Hagar? She was mistreated by Sarah. Remember Sarah said, Abraham, go have a child with Hagar so you have a child. And then he did. And Sarah got mad about it. She was jealous. She treated uh, Hagar harshly. Hagar fled, and the Lord came and spoke to her and said, Return and serve Sarah. And he said, I promise you this, Ishmael will become my heir. And here was her response. You can find it in Genesis 16, 13. I didn't put it up. You can look it up if you like. Here's Hagar's response. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God, a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Through Jeremiah the prophet, God said, he sees those who are doing evil, that they are not hidden from him, and he will doubly repay their iniquity and sin. God sees. God knows. He is on his throne. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. He tests the righteous. He's testing us right now. How are we responding to what's happening in our world broadly, or in our nation, and in our own personal lives as well? When difficulty comes, does our faith bring us peace within about the situation, or do we worry and fret and have no peace? Sometimes he tests us through discipline. He loves us enough to allow us to go through difficult times in life sometimes, because he wants those things to increase our faith in him. Thank God for his Holy Spirit, who guides us, who convicts us of our sin, who convinces us of the truth, no matter what the situation is. Verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their crown. Leave the vengeance to the Lord, since it's hidden truth. When things don't go our way, when we feel we've been wrong, we don't go burn down houses, we don't have riots, we don't let our anger drive us to all kinds of sin. That is not what God's people do. In fact, we need to be humble enough to acknowledge that even when people are raging against us, it's God who allows it. He has a purpose in it. And his purposes are good for us. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. So if you love him, you can trust that everything else happening in the world is being worked out for your good. And we must also consider that when bad things happen to God's people, he may be lovingly disciplining them. In fact, David believes strongly about this. Consider what happened when David's son Absalom did a wicked thing and, and overthrew David. And David was fleeing for his very life. And as he was fleeing, this man, who's famous in Scripture now for all of time because he cursed David, we read about it. His name was Shimei. Shimei, sorry. And it's in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 9 to 14 is where I'm going to read. So David's basically got a group of people. They're heading out of town. 
They're trying to escape because his son has taken over the throne, and the next thing likely to happen is he's going to take care of his own dad, who's the town physician. So this, this man, Shimei, is cursing David and shouting at him, and it actually says he was throwing rocks and dirt at him. And in Abishai, verse 9, the son of Zeruiah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. It's a good second-hand man to have, right? You know, he's going to say, hey, let me take care of this. I'll go after it. But the king, David, said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do so. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan and at the end he refreshed himself. Now, if David could have a reaction to such an evil against him like that, where's our faith? Remember that the evil did not get away with this evil. God will see to it that judgment is done and justice is done. And our hearts cry out for justice, but sometimes in this life it doesn't come. Trust that God will work out justice in every case. And realize these two truths. When wicked stand, people stand against you, look at what David did. He acknowledged the possibility that God was okay with the man cursing, the man cursing him. And most likely, he appropriately took that moment to take stock of what God might be teaching him. And you can see it in his response. The second lesson is that we can trust God to work out all things for our good. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for this person today. Pretty amazing. You do that when your enemies are cursing you? Uh, verse 7 of uh, the psalm. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. Ultimately, that's our hope. I've talked about it before, I think in Job 19 we find one of the most powerful statements of faith in all the scripture probably, because Job, who did not have the Gospels, he didn't even have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, was going through his trial, and he said this, starting at Job 19 and verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall be holding not another, and my heart faints within me. If you say how will we how we will pursue him, and the root of the matters found in him be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. 
said, I know my Redeemer lives. So whatever Job said, whatever I'm going through, you know that story he went through, some of the most terrible things you can imagine, and yet he said, I know my Redeemer lives, and I will see. I'm going to go back to Romans 8, where we studied earlier this year for a bit, all writing that the whole creation's been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, remember that? We also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption and redemption. In this hope we were saved. The Spirit helps us in our weakness by praying when we can't even pray. Remember some of that? The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Were you called according to his purpose? If you are, then you love him. And if you love him, then you were called. If you are one who loved him, the good news is that he works all things together for good for you. The book of Ezra, he writes, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Do you seek him? Or do you forsake him? Ecclesiastes 8, verse 10 to 13, And then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and they were and were praised in the city because they had done such things. This is also vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is set fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Do you think someone's getting away with something? Isn't this passage true that the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. No, in fact, many go through all of life being wicked and we don't seem to see any punishment coming their way, right? Seems like there's no reckoning. But there is a reckoning with God. I would rather suffer, suffer humiliation and a public punishment from God in this life so that I may repent and turn back to Him than to die in my sin and face a judgment forever. So what then of those who are concerned about what will happen with religious liberty, with our right under the government to speak the truth of God's world? Well, if it's lost, it's lost. It isn't yet, by the way. Many are concerned it may be headed that way, and I share a concern, but our prayers according to Scripture should be for peace and prosperity for God's people. But we also need to be at peace that if God allows world affairs to turn in a bad direction, still he is doing that for the good of those who love him. Now we're nearing the end of this, and I have an application hopefully for us to take with us. And if you take this home with you and you listen to the Lord and what he's saying through here, you can have more peace leaving here than you can. 
First, humble yourself before God and ask Him what you are supposed to be learning through whatever stress you're going through. If world affairs are troubling you, turn to God's Word and ask Him why it is that you're so troubled. Have you put too much faith in your finances or in your government or in your political parties? And are you seeking out biblical teaching, whether through books or online sermons or Sunday school? There's so many options available today for Christians. But let me challenge you on what kind of teaching you seek out. If you seek out teaching that is always related to what the Bible says about what is going on out there, instead of what the Bible says about what is going on in your own heart, you may need to reevaluate your priorities. To be really frank with you, if that's the kind of teaching you like, it's always about, well, here, let me teach you what's going on in Washington, D.C. as a church. If that's the kind of teaching you like, always about what's going on in the world and not so much about what's going on in your own heart, that's a, what we call a dodge, right? You're dodging what you need. Or maybe we could say you're putting your wants before your needs. You want to hear someone tell you about what is happening in the world affairs, but you don't want to be challenged to consider your own attitude and heart. Stop dodging. I'm not saying there's no place for teaching that relates to what's happening in the world. There is. The Bible speaks to everything. But if that's all you seek out, I wonder what's going on in your own heart that you don't want exposed to dodging. Second, Realize that whatever is happening, whether it's happening to you personally, whether it's happening in the world in general, all things are being worked out by God for your good. If you love Him. So if you're alarmed about what's happening in the world, don't be. God loves you. He's concerned always for you and your good. And not only that, He has worked things out in the way that is best for you. Finally, and most important, remember that the Lord is in his holy temple. His temple is in heaven, and his eyes see the wicked will be dealt with, and the upright shall behold his face. In light of this, why should we despair about what's going on in the world? What are God's word? Be disciplined, be challenged, and be encouraged. Because he can speak to us through very next hours. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that each of us here can come away with a sense of a burden lifted, a new peace in our heart. And Lord, as we go through our lives and those times come where we feel in our heart unsettled because of something else going on, Lord, may we be people who go to you. Go to your word and are reminded that you sit 